We read the scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read this together. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Church. We're really glad you are here with us in the room and of course there online, wherever you're tuning in from. It's a joy to open the scriptures and talk a little bit uh, about them. My name is Matthew. If we haven't had a chance to meet personally yet, uh, we'll get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And we're going to open the scriptures and, and go uh, begin a new collection of sermons around this idea of the practice of obedience. Somebody say practice. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. You can click in the Bible app, go on our central hub, follow along in our notes if you want, faithchurchchaos.org. But we're going to talk a little bit about what does it look like to engage in the practice of obedience. Mark 12, we just read it together. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. What's the greatest commandment? It's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. These five things, these are, I believe we, we can understand and learn five different practices that uh, the believer, the follower of Jesus, are called to do. And we're, when we talk about loving God with your strength, I believe we're talking about loving God with our beings with our physical bodies, with the essence of who we are. We're loving God with our strength, our physical strength. Our obedience is one way to say that. I think it's using the strength of our life to live out our love toward God. This is, this is what it look, we're going to talk for the next uh, four weeks about what does it look like to live the Christian life, to live a life that followers of Christ are invited to live. And it all takes this idea, this understanding that we're to practice. We're to practice a lifestyle, to live a lifestyle that demonstrates, that reveals, that is evident of the Christian virtues that Scripture speaks of. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Kind of a thesis verse for this morning, if you will. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this next part. To do good works. Turn to your neighbor and say, do good works. If you're in the chat, write it in there. Do good works. He goes on to say, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Us. As a body. As as units put together to live and be the embodiment of Christ in our world, which God prepared for us to do. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he was walking and talking with his disciples, and he asked a really uh, penetrating and, in my opinion, very troubling question. It's a question I, 
I think about it, and when I think about it, I really have to give it pause to think a little more introspectively as I examine my own heart and life. Here's the question that, that he asked. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Like, why is it you are like, Lord Jesus, you're our Lord, you're the master, you're the teacher, but yet you're not doing and living and practicing the truths that I am preaching. He goes on to talk about that in the very next section, uh, the very next verse, he says, I'll tell you what it looks like to hear my commands and put them into practice. That person looks like this. And he begins to describe a wise person who puts into practice the teachings of Jesus, of the people who call him Lord, Lord. Let me be very, very clear. Jesus is Lord. He is the king of the universe. In fact, scripture goes on to say that he is the king of all the kings. Like there is no name higher, there is no one greater, and one day when he returns, every being on the earth will bow their knee in recognition, oh my Lord, you are king. It's gonna happen. And he's inviting us here and now through the work of his spirit to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Can I take it one step further today? I want to know, is he your Lord, though? Because if he's not your Lord, you don't need to put any of these things that we're talking about into practice. It's, it's really pointless to like hear about following Jesus if you have no interest in following Jesus. Like, you're really off the hook. You might be here and you're like new to, like, you're just exploring Christianity. You're just exploring who is this Jesus, what this is all about. You're going to get kind of a front row picture today as to what it really looks like. And so today, primarily, I want to help us understand what it looks like to live a life that demonstrates that it is an example of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. For him to be king of our heart. For him to be central to who we are. Uh, here in America, we uh, have uh, this, this, state, uh, this saying, this pledge that we all pledge growing up in elementary school. At the beginning of the day, everybody stands to their feet, puts their hands over their heart, and we begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of United States of America. Come on, keep going. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I pledge allegiance. Many of us, that, those words ring deep in our hearts. Many of you served this country, having others who gave their life for this country. Those words have deep meaning to you. When someone becomes a citizen of this nation, there's a ceremony that occurs. And in this ceremony, as they become an official U.S. citizenship, they take what's called the oath of allegiance. And as a new citizen, they promise to fulfill several duties, one of which is they pledge to give up allegiance to any other nation or sovereign 
and renounce hereditary or noble titles of any kind. They renounce it. Friends, this is a picture. It's not a righteous picture necessarily. It's not God's picture completely. It's not 100% perfect. But it is an example of what it looks like for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. Don't miss the connection. When you go into the waters of baptism, you are at that moment saying, I pledge my fidelity, my faith, my trust, my belief, my commitment, all of who I am. I submit and I surrender to Jesus as my Lord. And we celebrate it and we're, we're glad about it. We are making an oath to our king. We are, we are in essence saying, Jesus, you're all we need, all we want. You're the savior of the world and I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life, no turning back. That's, that's the statement that we make. Why? Because God is king. Jesus is Lord. And he invites you into the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus walked the earth, he had made an announcement. The kingdom of God is now here. It is among you and it has started. And it supersedes, overrides all of our earthly understanding. And so we are here as followers of Jesus to follow him. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself daily. Take up your cross to follow after me. In other words, die to your old ways and come find new life in the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To recognize Jesus, you are Lord. Not just a Lord, not just I believe in your lordship, but we make it personal when we get baptized and we say, you're mine my Lord. And my oath is to follow after you. Friends, the practice of obedience is really just the practice of learning what it means to love God with our body's activity, to walk the way of Jesus as a disciple. Here at Faith Church, our mission statement is to bring faith to life, helping people take their next steps to belong to the family, become disciples, and build the kingdom of God. This is what we're about as a body, as a congregation. This year, this idea of practice, our theme, practice, that's our word. It's all about becoming a disciple. The things we do to become more like Jesus, to follow after him more and more. Friends, faith is not just an interior or intellectual belief that we hold to. It is something that edges outward as something that becomes embodied and is meant to be externalized. Jesus preached the gospel, and that gospel transformed hearts. That transformed heart works from the inside out to live a life of faithfulness to King Jesus, to the Lord of Lords, to the Father and Creator of all. Think about this idea of marital faithfulness for a minute. When we talk about marital fidelity, uh, marital faithfulness, it is this understanding of a holistic being demonstrating a conviction that we hold within, that this is my person, this is my spouse, this is the one I am pledging 
all of my love to, all of my uh, uh, financial well-being, what's mine is now yours, and what's yours is now mine. Some of you are like, uh-uh, what's his is mine, and what's mine is mine. Might want to rethink that. We understand the idea of marital fidelity isn't just an idea in our minds. Don't miss this. But it is contextualized in how we live our life of love for that person. Am I right? Yes or yes? Just making sure you're tracking with me. It is this idea that we have marital fidelity. Friends, we are one day moving towards a marriage of Jesus where the body is the bride and we are united forever in celebration and ceremony with Jesus. Some of you are like, what? It's in the Bible. We'll talk about it another time. Just trust me. It's one of the examples that scripture uses to help us understand how we're supposed to relate to Jesus, how we're supposed to relate to God. And when Jesus says, come follow me, it wasn't just come and believe in an idea about an abstract God. It was literally come and take a step in following me. Come walk in a life that is patterned after how I am living my life. And so the practice of obedience, what we're going to explore over the next few weeks, is this idea that there is a spirit formation that happens in our hearts that is a work that only God can do, that he does for you by grace through faith. We're going to talk about it in a minute. There is a spiritual formation that occurs, and it is from that place of spiritual formation that leads us to obedience of a transformed life. To where you're not the same old mean cuss you once were. You're not the same lying son of a gun that you once were. Right? You're not the gossiping gal that you once were. You are transformed as you allow your heart to be totally transformed. And it leads you, edges you to an external expression of your faith. It is an inside-out work, not an outside-in work. So today, I want to talk to you on the subject of the source of our obedience. If we're going to practice obedience, if we're going to practice and develop this fidelity of our faith, this faithfulness to Jesus, if we're going to live a life to where he says, you call me Lord, Lord, and you do what I say, if we're going to walk that life out, as I believe we're called to, the invitation that Jesus invites us into, we've got to first look at what the source of our obedience actually is. And so today, I want to lay a groundwork for all of the good works that God has called us into. Ephesians 2 verse 10, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works to live a life of fidelity to Jesus, to live a life where your actions demonstrate your faithfulness to King Jesus. That's what we're going to walk out today. But first, I want to talk today as we lay that groundwork. I want to talk about where it all starts because you got to start from the ground up, right? You got to start from the inside out, from what's unseen to what eventually is seen, the, the underground, if you will of this groundwork of our hearts. Here's number one. 
How do we practice our obedience? How do, we, how do we practice this? How do we come to a place of being able to even practice our obedience? How does it even get started? What's the source? Where's this obedience coming from? Here's the first thing. Number one, I hope you're taking notes. I want you to write this down, and that's simply this. It is a renewal of our hearts toward the king. And more accurately, more theologically accurate, it is a renewal of your heart by Jesus, through the Spirit. It is a renewal. It has to start in your heart. You can't work it from the outside in and get a changed heart. No, your heart is changed. And from a changed heart, from a renewed heart, life flows out of it. Can I get a really big, girthy amen? All right, that's what I'm talking about. In other words, I'm saying it like this. Your salvation is the starting block for your obedience. That's all I'm trying to say. Let's look at some scripture. Let's back up. We're in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Let's rewind a few verses and start in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the starting block for all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. I was dead. Buried, covered in our sin. In which you used to live, And you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air. In other words, he was saying, one time you were a son of Satan. You were a daughter of the devil. That's where you were. That was your starting point. Every human being born into this world starts there. No, pastor, I thought we were all children of God. We can be. We were all created with the capacity to reflect the image of God, it's in there, but it's buried. Dead. Covered in sin and transgressions. The whole earth is not children of God yet. But we can be. We can be. That's what we're talking about. Starting block of all of our salvation. In which you used to live and follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. In other words, he comes right at our self-righteousness. In, in case you were ready to snob your nose at the world around you and how evil the world used to be, take a self-righteous examination for a minute and remember, you started there too. I started there too. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following, not Jesus, not God, we followed our desires and our thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's where we started. But, I love saying buts in the Bible most of the time, but because of His great love for us. Not your great love. Not your enlightenment. Not your amazing skills, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The starting block for good works in our life. The starting block of, re- of, of a heart and a life that is obedient to king. The starting block of practicing obedience starts at the source. And that source is our salvation. 
are rescuing from darkness being brought into light. It is a place. We all started sinful, dead, depraved, unable to follow God and do good things that honored God. In fact, before you became a follower of Jesus, before you experienced salvation in the new birth, all of your actions, all of your deeds, as good as they may have looked to the world, were as filthy rags, Scripture says. Your best deeds with a dead, transgressed heart were just filthy rags. And it is Jesus who comes to rescue us, to redeem us, and we simply get to respond to his redemption work. We get to respond to what Jesus did on the cross. We get to look at what he did and says, okay, I get to give my life to that. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to give him. And Jesus, through the Spirit, makes us alive. We just read it. We were dead. We were stuck in sin. But by God's grace, he comes to us and he makes us alive. You didn't make yourself alive. He made you alive. He renewed you. He saved you. It is by his grace that we can be saved. Now, when we talk about salvation we're we're talking about a a broad category of things with lots of specifics in them in fact most of the time when we talk about salvation what we're really referring to is what's called the new birth it's kind of like this um if i were to say i did some routine car maintenance uh on my vehicle this week some of you would would understand what i mean in other words i took it somewhere and they did some routine maintenance that's really what i meant but whenever you say the phrase routine car maintenance, it's a broad category of lots of little things. Tires are rotated, oil gets changed, new filters put on there, right? Tire pressure is checked, they added windshield washer fluid, make sure you have power steering, like they're checking all your fluid, right? That is routine car maintenance that I gladly pay someone else to do on my vehicles because I like my vehicles to work. <laughs> Amazing. It's routine maintenance, but it means lots of little things. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about a big idea with lots of little compartments that Scripture talks about. And what most often we talk about when we talk about salvation is the new birth experience that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. That if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's what he's talking about. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Again, that's really what he's talking about. But there are lots of components to it, like justification and a regeneration. Big theological words, I'll explain them here in a minute. Uh, things like sanctification and adoption. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 4 says, God has chosen you. That's a part of the process. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 5 says, you are adopted and given sonship. Here in America, when you go through an adoption process, it is the parent that selects the child. The child doesn't select the parent. God saved you. He adopted you and me. You were helpless and powerless to do anything about it, but he came down and says, I like, I'm going to adopt them into my family. I'm going to make it possible for anyone who wants to look at what my son Jesus did and live. And if they want to follow him, I'm going to make it possible for them to experience something brand new. And I want to bring them into my family. Because God, our Father, likes a big, huge, global family. So he adopts us. That's part of salvation. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about what Romans 10 and Galatians 2 talked about, that we have been justified by faith, believing in Christ Jesus' work at the cross. Justified, it's a legal term. 
where you were responsible for a debt in the court of God because of all of your sin, all of sin must, it carries a price tag. The price tag for sin and transgressions is death. You didn't pay that price, but Jesus does. And when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to put your faith in him, when you believe what Jesus did at the cross wasn't just for a few people, but it's available to you, and the spirit begins to draw you, and you respond to that, and you say, yes, amen, I believe in Jesus, and you receive this gift of grace, then in heaven, in the court system of heaven, you are now justified, paid in full, all because of what Jesus did for you and me. Titus 3 verse 5 talks about being saved through a rebirth and a renewal of our spirit. John 3, we already talked about, it's this newborn, a reborn spiritual life. Salvation, uh, and most of the time we talk about being saved or salvation, we're talking about that conversion miraculous moment when God does a work in our heart through the Holy Spirit that totally gives us a brand new, different heart awakening something in our spirits. We are saved in that moment, spiritually. The process of discipleship and following Jesus helps us learn how our mind, our will, our emotions are saved through what's called sanctification. It's a lifelong process of reading scripture, having the spirit speak to us and us responding in kind. And one day you will experience eternal, complete, forever salvation when Jesus comes back and he removes the very result and presence of sin and death from our world that we're living in now. So salvation is a whole continuum of things that takes place when we talk about salvation. When I'm talking about the starting point of your obedience and your fidelity to Christ, I'm talking about this very beginning part, this rebirth part. John Tyson makes some commentary on John 3. He's a pastor and a writer, and he says this. He says, in John 3, Jesus clearly states that what humanity needs the most is to be born again, to experience a spiritual birth. And this birth comes by believing in Jesus and receiving the promised Holy Spirit. Spiritual birth is not something we can earn or achieve ourselves. It is something done by the Spirit alone. Just like Ephesians tells us, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. The starting block, the source of your eventual obedience and faithfulness to God starts at the moment of your rebirth, your, your new birth into the family of God. The salvation conversion moment where your heart is made new and something brand new occurs. Because if that doesn't happen, if you don't have a renewed heart through the spirit and the work of the cross, you are incapable of following Jesus. Because all of your good deeds and obedience are like filthy rags. Not doing enough to erase the debt that you owe in the courts of heaven. Friends, this is good news. This is good news, that Jesus came to rescue us, and in believing that he rescued us, the Spirit renews our hearts completely, changes us. Our desires begin to change. Our attitudes begin to change. Our, our, our want to starts to shift and change. Uh, it, it shifts around in us. Something different happens. It's called grace. Grace is a gift. You don't earn it. You receive it. 
You respond to it. Grace is a gift. Now, in our world, we talk about, I need somebody to pray that time would stand still and multiply out. I got a lot more to cover. Grace is a gift, but it's not a gift like we think. We think gift, no strings attached, gift. For Paul, for the early church, for those who walked with Jesus, for those who lived the life before Jesus, what we would call the Old Testament in Scripture, gift-giving wasn't a no strings attached, keep it, do whatever you want with it, use it, don't use it, it's yours. Gift-giving in the Old Testament and New Testament and early church were rather a gift exchange that invited and began to create a reciprocal relationship. Gift giving was something that initiated a new relationship or renewed an, an, an outstanding relationship. When David and Jonathan created a covenant, they started a new covenant relationship. They exchanged weapons. It was a gift exchange. It was meant to now invite a reciprocal response towards one another. Old, Old Testament, Old Covenant, any time a covenant was made, there was an exchanging of gifts. In the New Testament, when Jesus said, here we are, we're at the table, and I'm going to create a new covenant bond with you. He said, I'm giving myself as the gift, and you get to respond in like kind, and it is a reciprocal response of my grace inviting you into a new faith, a new relationship. In other words, it's not like, hey, God, thanks for that gift. I'll see you when you return. I can live however I want for the rest of my life. Deuces. Not what it was. The work of salvation happens in our heart. It renewed our heart, absolutely. But grace now compels us and invites us to a life of fruitfulness and faithfulness as I move towards God. Grace is a gift. Always has been, always will be. Grace is, becomes like the groundwork for all of our good works that we would ever do in the future. It's the starting block. Salvation is the starting block for the source of your obedience. Any acts of good deeds and good works in our lives, trying to live a Christian life, living a life that reflects Jesus, doing the things that we believe the Bible teaches about the way that we live our lives, anything that we do that doesn't first start from a renewal of our hearts, Misses the mark entirely. You can't work your way into a righteous life. You have to receive that righteousness by faith. You have to receive it as a gift from God. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us, in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of works. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Grace is the gift of salvation that we receive from God, a renewal of our hearts. And when our hearts get renewed, you know what happens? We begin to live out a new identity. Second thing that we've got to do if we're going to recognize the source of our good works, the, the source of our obedience, it starts with a renewed heart. Second, it's a renewal of our identity in God's kingdom. A renewal of our identity. Because you were a sinner. You were stuck in sin. 
But now God says, I, I want to call you a son. I want to call you. There's a new identity that he puts on you. There's a new righteousness that he gives you. There's a new identity that God wants to shape in you. A renewal of our identity in the kingdom is so important. It's this, this question that every human being is asking, why am I here and who am I? And any answer as to why am I here and who am I that doesn't start with the source of Jesus and the Father leads you to an incorrect identity. You can't discover yourself within yourself, friends. Why? Because you didn't create yourself. God did. You are his workmanship, his handiwork. He's the one who has an identity for you. There is a renewal of our identity. The culture around you wants to shape your identity. Your family of origin wants to shape and speak into your identity. Satan and, and evil in our world wants to shape your identity. But God wants to give you something new. He wants to robe you in his righteousness. He wants to give you a new source of identity. He wants to renew your identity through Christ Jesus. He wants to make you a son. He wants to make you righteous. He wants you to make you an heir and a joint heir with Christ because you are now seated with Christ. Look at Ephesians 2. It goes on. It goes on. And God raised us up now with Christ. So we've had a renewed heart. Now we're talking about a renewed identity that God wants to do so that we can end up doing good works. Renewed, renewed heart starts the process. Now we're getting into a renewed identity here in Ephesians chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where are you now seated? In Christ Jesus. There is something that because of your faith and response to the faith um, that Jesus has given you in a response to the renewal work that God has done in your heart, he says, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. In order that in the coming age, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Why? Because your identity is now seated in Christ. When your heart has been renewed, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Ephesians 4 eventually talks about this even more. Ephesians 4 says, when you heard about Christ and you were now taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and instead to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. What is the new self? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you've had a renewed heart, if you've experienced the, the salvation rebirth, if that has happened in your life, there is a new identity that you need to start walking in, and it's called Christ's identity. You put away the old way, and you put on a new way. You put on the old way of lying all the time, cheating all the time, driven by lust all the time, trying to be uh, doing it in your own way, proving how good you are. You put that old way away and you put on Christ. You have a new language. You begin to think different. Your priorities change. Something shifts in you and it's an identity change that happens in you through Jesus Christ. It is a new identity, friends. You're not still stuck in sin. He set you free. You're not still stuck as an old, sinful wretch. By grace, 
He's renewed your heart, given you a new one, a new spirit. And now you have a new identity as a son, as a daughter, robed in Christ's righteousness. Remember the story of the prodigal son? When he returned and, and the father embraced him and says, yes, you're in my family. What did he give him? He gave him a robe, gave him ring, gave him new sandals. He restored some things to his life. He gave him an identity as a son, not a slave, as a son. It's a gift. Grace changes our heart. Salvation changes our heart. And from that place, when we begin to put on the new identity that he's given us, you begin to put on the new Jesus swag in your life. You find yourself walking a little bit different because you have a different level of confidence. Well, it's not a confidence in your own right. It's not a confidence in you. It's not a confidence in your abilities. It's a confidence in Jesus. It's a confidence in what God's done. Living out this new life. What is this, what is this confidence that we have? It's shaped by the voice of the Father. Jesus never went through an identity crisis. Jesus didn't live from an insecure place. Why? Because he heard the affirmation of his father again and again and again. Friends, can I, can I let you in on, on a prayer in my heart recently? It starts with a burden. One of the things that I'm very burdened about as it relates to the church big, but this church and this context I believe that for many months now, many people who have followed Jesus, know they follow Jesus, know that he saved them. He's, they've been changed. They've had a renewed heart. That many of us who have had a renewed heart have never really wrestled or found our identity in Christ and we're walking through an insecurity of our faith right now. Insecure about everything. Insecurity just means that you're placing your security in something other than God. Because God is the only one who is perfect love, and it's his perfect love that casts out fear. What's insecurity? It's just fear because you're believing in the wrong thing. I've wrestled with some insecurities that I hadn't thought I'd have to wrestle with for a long time. This last year. Wrestling through some things dealing with insecurities in my own life that I thought, man, I thought I overcame all those forever ago. And they showed back up. I've been wondering and questioning. Friends, you are, if your heart has been renewed, you know who you are? You're God's masterpiece. That's who you are. You're his handiwork. Created anew in Christ Jesus. Why? Because when you have a renewed heart and you have a renewal of your kingdom identity, and you're, you can then live out your role in the kingdom known as doing good works, which the king, God, has prepared and invites you into. What's the source of our obedience? A renewed heart through the new birth, the salvation birth experience that only Jesus can do. 
leads you to a renewed identity. And when that happens, third, you end up with a renewal of works in God's kingdom. Jesus said it like this. Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and in turn glorify the Father in heaven. Your assignment in the kingdom of God whose heart has been renewed by Jesus, whose identity has been reshaped and redefined by Jesus through the voice of the Father and what he's done for you, you now can live out a renewed commitment and fidelity of obedience in the kingdom, which is simply letting your light shine because there are more people who need to experience the glory of God in their life. John Piper said it like this, God is most glorified when we are satisfied in him. You can't be satisfied in God if you haven't experienced a renewed heart by God in the spirit through the work of the cross. You're not gonna be satisfied in him if you're still wrestling with, am I saved, am I loved, am I a son, am I a daughter, am I a sinner, what, what, is, what is my life all about? still wrestling with that this week I'm going to send our church an email and list over 50 scriptures that specifically speak to your new identity as a son and daughter in God's kingdom because I'm tired of us living insecure and having an identity crisis as sons and daughters it's time we realize who we are so we can live out and practice our faith the way God wants us to. But it starts with a renewed heart, with a reset identity in the kingdom of God so that we can live it out. This week, here's what I want you to do. How do we practice this one message? Real simple. Each night, I want you to examine your actions for that day. The things you did with your body, your life. I just want you to examine what was the source of those actions? Were those sinful actions? Were they selfish or self-glorifying actions? Or were those actions actually surrendered to Jesus as King, to Him as Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do what I say. Friends, our good works cannot save us. But they do reveal that we've had a changed heart. Where we're walking in a new identity. Because our good deeds are demonstrations of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So others can see and glorify God himself. Would you stand with me as we come to the Lord's table? As we get ready to partake of communion... Go ahead and open the elements, get the wafer in one hand, and then go ahead and open up and get the juice open in the other hand. And today, before we come to the Lord's table, what I really felt like it would be important for us to do is to make a prayer of confession to the Lord as a body both in the room and on home, at home or wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching this. Because if I'm honest and if you're honest, 
There are many moments in my day where I'm not living from the right identity. And I'm not practicing a fidelity and obedience, a faithfulness to Jesus. I'm practicing something else. It's not that my heart hasn't been changed. It has. Most of the time it's because my identity hasn't been fully reshaped. I just haven't taken that leap to practice. I haven't made that connection yet. Maybe for you, you've never had your heart transformed by Jesus. All of these things are impossible for you to do that we've talked about, good works, and that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks because your heart, your source in your life has never been transformed. But today, you feel a stirring, a pulling. The Holy Spirit's been working on you saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't have Jesus as the king of your heart. You've been the king and Lord of your own heart. And the Holy Spirit has been drawing you today. He's been working on you today. And as we pray this prayer out loud together, it's going to come up on the screen and we're going to read it in the room and at home. When we get done, we'll say amen and we're just going to pause and then I'll lead us to take the elements together. But I want us to read this as a confession of our heart and a reset of our obedience and fidelity to Jesus this week. Can we read this together? It's gonna come on the screen. Let's read this. Ready, let's go. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have transgressed against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have not done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Cleanse us from our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now let's take the bread which represents his body. And now the juice, which is his blood. Father, we thank you that in these prayerful moments of confession, of confessing to you our hearts, sometimes wandering, Lord, for those who for the first time may have prayed such a prayer today, Lord, they're, 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 they're making a decision to make you king and Lord in their heart. For others of us, God, we know that our heart has been made right, it's been renewed, but today, God, we're, we're, we're asking that you would help us reclaim our right identity in Christ Jesus, that righteousness that you bring us so that we live out and demonstrate your ways in the kingdom. We ask these things today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for